Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 143. On today's show, we talk about Vikings. Let's dig a little deeper. Welcome to the show, everyone. How's it going? Pretty good. Still here in Austin, enjoying yep. our time in in this really cool and weird town, just like they want you to think it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I'm a little jaded. It's not that weird. I've just never seen like so many food trucks in one place at a time. Like every single restaurant has a like permanent food truck in its parking lot. And then yeah. there's like more of them around. <laughs> we have seen that a lot. Like yeah. permanent food trucks. Yeah. That yeah. seems to be like a thing these days, which. Yeah. We've seen it in other places, but yeah, there's quite a few here. It actually is cool because it's like a really nice alternative to fast food because it's yeah. still fast. But yeah. anyway. I'm definitely enjoying the food here, that's for sure. Right. Well, it's Viking Week. It is Viking Week. We should do themed weeks throughout the year, like Shark Week. <laughs> I know, right? Viking Week. Viking Week, I love it. Nice. In the news these days, and I don't know why I chose to do this article second, but the second article <laughs> we're going to talk about... In segment two. In segment two, actually prompted a whole bunch of other things to come out about Vikings, and right. we'll talk about that when we get there, but... I just thought this was really cool when I was researching other stuff about this article just to see some more information about it. A number of other things that is recent came up about Vikings. And I yeah. was like, wow, let's just talk about Vikings then. Because everybody loves a good Viking story. And mm-hmm. the show Vikings on whatever network that's on is is pretty popular. And, and so a lot of people are probably, you know, kind of into it. Yeah. So I love that show. It's really yeah. great. Although, as we'll learn it's not always the most accurate portrayal oh, of, of Vikings, but yeah. that's all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this first article is from Smithsonian Magazine, and it's titled, Viking Map of North America Identified as 20th Century Forgery. What? I know. Go figure. <laughs> so now I remember hearing about this map. I don't know when. At some point in my life, I've heard about this map mm-hmm. because it's been around... Well, it's been around, I mean, they'd have you believe since the 1500s uh, or the 1400s. Uh-huh. And however, it's not, but it came to light, I think, somewhere in the 50s, give yeah. or take. And around the 60s, uh, mid 60s, it was purchased by Yale University. Now, we'll get to that a little bit more, but they uh, they have had this map ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It was purchased by a donor. Yeah, a a previous student or a donor or somebody, and then they they gifted it to Yale University. I mean, that donor was Mellon, I think. Yeah. Of, I don't know if that's the half of Carnegie Mellon or oh, if that is maybe like 
I think you watch like PBS or something like that. It's like the Mellon Foundation or something. I mean, he paid something like $300,000 for this thing or whatever. It, it was certainly somebody with some money to burn. Yeah. And the map, the, the provenance of the map was in contention. It's called the Vinland map, by the way. Yeah. Because prov- it says Vinland on it where the U.S. is. Yeah. Where exactly. North America is. Yeah. And the provenance was under some contention. And I think most institutions were kind of stepping away slowly. Yeah. And he was like, cool, I'm not an institution. I don't care. I'll just buy it and then I'll gift it to Yale. And then that's what happened. And, and there it there it stayed since 1965. Yeah. He, the person who was trying to sell it tried to give it to the British Museum first. And, oh, really? Yeah. And they said, mm, no. Yeah, we're not going to buy that. Yeah. We don't, we don't trust that. Right. It and seems then, a little sketch. <laughs> and then sometime later, for whatever reason, approached Yale and Yale also turned it down. And yes. And then this donor stepped in and it's like, well, did you not have enough money? And just like bought it and sent it to him. So, <laughs> yeah. And what was Yale yeah. supposed to do? Like turn it I guess. down? Yeah. It, I think it just became a, a interesting thing that they could do studies right. on to prove whether or not it was what it yeah. was purported to be. So this, this map was seen as an important map if true uh-huh. because it was it was the first time that North America was shown drawn on a map right uh, and and this map wasn't like some big special map commissioned by a king or something like that it seemed like an everyday map yeah and if it's on like this everyday map then it, it implies that it's like common knowledge that hey there's another continent over there yeah like the rest of Europe and I think even like Africa and some of Asia was on the map so it yeah. was And then there was like this coastline of North America, Newfoundland, Canada, up in that region was included on the map Mm -hmm. as if they had just like come across it and were adding it to a map that included the rest of the world on it. That's sort of what it looked like, looks like in the picture. One thing that led to some credibility here is there is evidence of Viking settlements in Newfoundland. And we're going to talk about that later, actually. But and, and Icelandic sagas mention traveling to this land yeah right like we can we can see it in the sagas that that you know they they ventured over uh from like greenland and iceland and on over Mm -hmm. and found this other land so you know it was just like where's the proof and sagas are just stories obviously that are handed down amongst the communities Mm -hmm. and the people but there's often a a nugget of truth in there Mm -hmm. and the sagas included the construction of settlements battles with native americans attempts at trading with them and and all kinds of like really detailed stuff about interacting with the native population in newfoundland Mm -hmm. so you know there is definitely evidence that the vikings came over earlier than other europeans did yeah months after this thing was found there were inconsistencies noted with the map yeah like like the way that the shape of the landforms was drawn and stuff like that the continents the continents yeah they just didn't fit with the medieval viewpoint that supposedly would have had had it actually been made in the 1400s like like it said it was and the other thing that's mentioned in the article is, you know, they were wondering, well, where's this map been for the last 500 years? Yeah. You know, but that actually isn't too much of a surprise to me. Things get lost. They get thrown into a trunk. Somebody gets it and, you know, it just gets stored away. I well, mean, for sure. Yeah. That, where's your where's your where's that prom dress you wore 40 years ago? It's in the <laughs> no, attic. No, totally. But there is no story of somebody discovering it like that, though. Yeah. It just appears in the hands of a dealer who's like, look what I've got. Yeah, this that. is amazing. So there's no like story of it being discovered hidden away or lost in a library or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So there were some studies in the 70s trying to prove it was medieval rather than modern Mm -hmm. or just trying to. I don't think anyone necessarily maybe even thought it was a forgery. They just couldn't prove it was old. Yeah. 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 So they probably were going from the premise of this is probably old. Let's try to see what we can do to to prove that. So. But finally, and this is why we're talking about it, it has been proved once and for all to be a forgery. And they did it in a way using a technology that I don't know if we've talked about on this show. We probably have, but definitely on the Archaeotech podcast, X-ray fluorescence. Mm -hmm. And actually, archaeologists started really using XRF quite a bit in recent times because there's now portable XRF machines oh. that you can take out to like a like a rock art panel and you can that has pigment on it and you right. shoot the pigment with the XRF and it will tell you the composition of the elements that made up the thing that's in there. Oh cool. Yeah. And that's what XRF does. Yeah, yeah. So the ink was analyzed all over the map and it turns out the ink has titanium in it. Mm-hmm. And titanium wasn't used in this ink until about the 1920s. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now it doesn't mean they couldn't have used titanium and ink before, but would they have known that? Did they know what titanium even was or they, how to find it? Yeah, they didn't even have the ability yeah. to like process it to put it into ink in the 1400s. I think right. was the was the conclusion behind this is that there's just no way that titanium could have purposely been put into the ink. And from the analysis, it does seem like it was purposefully part of the ink composition. Yeah, yeah. So. That was the kind of the nail in the coffin right there, and it uh, it also proved through some some of those methods and others that this was actually probably done in about the twenties. Yeah. So, now the interesting thing about when this was done is comes comes to some of the the motivation, I guess. Yeah. And there was there was actually quite a bit of Vikings came to Americas came to the Americas, you know, before Columbus talk, mm-hmm. well before this. Yeah. And it kind of started with the discovery of the Kensington runestone and the Kensington runestone is a rock basically with these Viking runes on it that was apparently discovered in Minnesota in 1898 by a guy named Olaf Omen. And of course his name was Olaf. (laughs) Of course it was. Uh, For those of you that have never been to the upper Midwest, I lived in North Dakota for five years. It is North Dakota, Minnesota. And to be honest, Wisconsin, parts of Michigan, that whole area was settled by uh, Scandinavian people mm-hmm. and, and a long time ago. And this was just one of those things that was, again, quote, discovered that proved that Scandinavians were there a long time ago. And not only not only in the country, but made it far enough inland to go to the exact same place where Scandinavians settled, settled four or five hundred years later. Right. You know, or, or whatever. And but soon after Olaf, even in the 1800s, uh, presented this Kensington runestone, it was like well known to be a, a pretty bad fake. A fake, yeah. Except there's yeah. still people, of course, that prefer to believe that version of history rather than the, the right. real one. So I think it just goes to show that Americans in the early 20th century really wanted to like solidify ownership of the country and particularly white Americans wanted they just wanted it to be their place and so they were trying to create a history for it that suited their ancestors yeah and the history the real history is that obviously indigenous people were here first and then Spanish and Italian explorers were the first ones to really come to the new world quote unquote Mm -hmm. right 
that just is what it is. But those people are not the white, they're not the right color for white Americans. Yeah. So they just wanted to bring, you know, some white people in to change the story so that it looked like white people were the discoverers yeah. of the new world. So there's definitely like a, a threat of racism going on here. And also like just a desire to see your own culture in the, in the foundation of the country, which yeah. if you take the racism out of it, which I'm not sure that you can, but <laughs> if you do, you can kind of understand why people would want to find their culture and, and their people in the foundation yeah. of, of the, of the country. So I kind of excuse it a little bit, but also like don't make forgeries. Come on. <laughs> Turns right. out you don't have to make forgeries. You know why? Because there are sites that show that there were Vikings here. What? Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about that on the other side of the break as we sail across this commercial break. (laughs) Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code T-A-S. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 143, Viking Week. Viking Week! (laughs) And this is the article I was talking about in the beginning that specifically spawned this whole thing. I I definitely wanted to talk about this, but then found some of the others, so... The site we mentioned in segment one is called, and, and I'm probably going to pronounce this right, but La Anza Meadows. And I don't know, there's probably some S's and stuff I'm That's not supposed not to say. I've got, yeah. like, reading that, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, it's French-ish because uh, mm-hmm. it's up in Canada. Yep. And again, it's in Newfoundland where we mentioned that there's uh, Viking settlements. And Newfoundland is, if you're not familiar with the geography, is way out on the eastern tip of Canada. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's in its own time zone. Like, it's way out there. And it's, like, pretty close to Greenland, too, right? Like, I mean, like, from a sailing perspective. Yeah, exactly. It's closer than Austin, where we are now. So, <laughs> Well, I know. guess it does all depend you know. on your perspective, but... Yeah. I saw a movie one time that told me that there's icebergs up there, though, so you gotta be careful. You do. Yeah. It's true. But if you're in, like, <laughs> a longboat... I'm pretty sure the iceberg's not going to be as damaging as to some other I ships. I think you'll be able to avoid it. But yeah. anyway. Either way. Enough so, Titanic references. Let's wait, move what? on. <laughs> so anyway, so that's Newfoundland. And that's where 
not necessarily Vikings first hit the New World quote because it, I doubt they just like sailed straight there and bumped into land. Although they could have, maybe if the currents or whatever just kind of like lead you that way. But it's also more plausible that they just followed landforms around because if you're on like the southern tip of Greenland where people still live today and there's ice-free areas down there for you to live on, then you can conceivably just sail and stay inside of land. Yeah. Or at least ice flows. Yeah. And and just the weird little island chains and and things like that that are up there. So so we have a site. It's right there in Newfoundland. And the article says that it's evidence that the Vikings reached this area first. Uh, In fact, the article's titled, Goodbye Columbus, Vikings Crossed the Atlantic 1,000 Years Ago. That's more accurate than what they actually said in the article of the Vikings getting there first in the first paragraph because they also say that the Vikings were met by people there when they got there that they, you know, traded with and also warred with, also took slaves from Mm -hmm. and all these other things. And I'm like, are you first when you, like, meet people at the shore? Yeah, like, there were people there already so I think you need to check your use of the word first. If you want to say first Europeans. Okay, sure, you can say that. Yeah. But, yeah, so just a note to all journalists out there, just don't discount the indigenous populations in any country, any continent, as you so often do. Anyway, moving on. And so the site that was actually found was... Well, first off, as we mentioned in segment one, there's oral histories called the Icelandic sagas, and they depicted a Viking presence in the Americas just by inference. You know, we can tell that they at least talked about coming here. Now, one of the problems, of course, with those stories is they were written down centuries after they happened, much like another religious text that we all know (laughs) that was written down centuries after the things happened. So take that for what you will. Uh But it also mentions Leif Erikson, which is a name I remember from high school even uh, as, you know, leading one of the first people or leading the Viking party or whatever that that actually made it here Mm -hmm. as not Columbus, but really the first, you know, it's like I'm I doubt Columbus was even the first person to get to the New World. He probably sent a boat full of plebes out and said, right. hey, you guys go first. <laughs> yeah. So go check that out. Right. But I'm going to look it up was, from here. <laughs> yeah. Since he was leading the expedition, yeah. he gets the credit. Same yeah, yeah. thing with probably Leif Erikson. Although, if anything about Vikings is true, he was probably at the front of the longboat as it hit the shore yep. and saying, you know, I call this land. <laughs> but anyway, it was called Finland on all the maps and in the sagas. And that's where all this goes. So the structures that they found on this site resembled Norse buildings uh, on Greenland and Iceland. Mm. So when, when people saw this, they were like, well, this is pretty clearly like Norse, yeah. you know, uh, and Norse and Viking are actually synonymous. Like yes. you can one or the other. Right. Um, people just like the word Viking. So, and they, it means that they're from anywhere in the sort of like Scandinavia region yeah. as well. Like yeah. there's, it's not specific to one country or another. It's sort of that whole area. Weirdly, when you look up the Norse and Viking traditions, it's more Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. And Finland, which is also there, uh-huh. but I think Finland is the one that's a little more closer or borders Russia. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, is not does. really mentioned. So yeah. I don't know if Finland was really part of that culture. If Maybe it was more not, yeah. if it was more in the it wasn't Russia at the time, but more in that land, you know? So Well, it had a closer connection to like Russia and then hopping across mm. uh, whatever that sea is there to get over to, you know, yeah. mainland Europe too. So maybe they didn't go that far sure. west like the other the other countries did. So So it was always assumed that this site was the first settlement in the United in the in the Americas that mm-hmm. wasn't Native American. Right. And or at least from from a European uh, perspective. So 
But the the problem is dating it. Mm-hmm. You could date it relatively by the look of it. It, it resembled sites that are well dated from a similar time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, over in Greenland, Iceland, and, and other Norse areas. But the question was always, when does this date to? Yeah. And, and it was just really hard to date it because carbon-14 dating was really imprecise. Right. It was... It was just, for some reason, it was just not working. You know, mm-hmm. there's too much contamination. You know, who knows what was going on, but the carbon-14 dating was just not precise. But again, they, they figured it dated to around the 1100s based on just pure construction and artifacts found. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about such a profound concept, you know, like when, when we find sites, we will pretty confidently date something based on the artifacts. Uh-huh. Might be a few hundred year temperature swing, but we'll be like, yeah, this dates to about 4,000 years ago. Right. And nobody's going to question us on that. Yeah. But we're not saying this is the first site in Nevada. Right. Ever. Yeah. If we did that, then we'd have to have pretty solid concrete evidence of and it. And you probably want to have multiple types of dating to yeah. to prove what it is that you're saying. Yeah. So. So. So we have that. We have the construction of the buildings. We have the fact that the Norse were well-known seafaring people mm-hmm. and great at boat building, great at just being on the water. And it was inc- it was completely feasible that at that time they could have gotten here if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is definitely a thing. And then the other reason was, well, why did they go? I mean, you could say for pure exploratory purposes, but you could also argue, and it has been argued, that if they were on Greenland, which would have been the closest Norse settlements at the time, Greenland is really starved for resources. Mm -hmm. And it could have been a hunt for resources. Now, I read it as a hunt for resources, you know, like wood and things like that. But I didn't read it as they were going to take the wood back to Greenland because that didn't really seem feasible. Like, how much could you possibly take back? And it would take months to go back and forth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Although floating logs wouldn't be... You still got to drag them. Yeah, but like across the ocean, that yeah, would be hard. Yeah, like even if you got 50 people rowing, you yeah. know, and you get your sails up, it's yeah. like, I mean, it just didn't seem feasible to me. Not that they wouldn't have done it, but. So they're just not really thinking about the fact that they're discovering a new land. They just yeah. were on the hunt for an area that had better resource. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other pieces of evidence that we have that it was plausible that Vikings could have got here is when, when the Vikings existed. Right. And the mm-hmm. Viking Age typically dates from 793 to 1066, which are two oddly specific dates. Is it 1066? Because uh, that's when the whole Britain thing happened. Yeah. Like William the Conqueror Britain. and all that. And yeah. I don't know maybe. if it's associated with that, because if that's the case and they said we are now the land of whatever and you now belong to us, maybe yeah. all the Vikings became Britons at the time. So who knows? Yeah. I don't really know that history yeah, very well. I, I doubt that's a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So when did all this happen? And, you know, can we confirm that it was happened at that time? So they used a new type of dating method, at least new to archaeology. It's a well-known phenomenon in solar physics or whatever um, that this is happening. But I I don't know another time than when this is applied to archaeology. But basically, this technique is referring to a solar flare, a massive solar flare that happened Mm -hmm. in 992 CE. It was a very significant solar storm. And when that happens, again, the earth has to be in the right position. Things have to be all lined up pretty much just right for this to happen. And it was. But when that happens, the the growth rings in the trees are impacted by that. It didn't really say what the tree rings look like, Mm -hmm. but they're different. Oh, they're not different. That's right. It was um, radiocarbon. It had a distinctive radiocarbon signal. It uh. produces a distinctive radiocarbon signal. I don't know if it's more or less, but it's different than the surrounding years. Okay. And the amount of carbon in the tree at that time shouldn't probably change that quickly. 
Okay. Right. It will over the course of like 500 years as the world changes, but it's like a spike, basically. I think it was a spike. Yeah. yeah it was either a spike or a deficit, but it yeah, was probably yeah. a spike. Either way, it, it's yeah. way different. They just they know that that happened, and they can see that in the growth rings of three three of the sample pieces of wood they took from the timbers of these uh, structures. Structures. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the thing is. They counted 29 growth rings on all three of those mm-hmm. after that spike happened, indicating, because they know exactly when the solar storm happened, we have lots of corroborating evidence for that. Right. So that is very clear. But that meant the wood, since it was 29 years after 992 CE, was cut in 1021. Which totally makes Somebody sense. Somebody cut that wood down. Yeah. And it would be it would be foolish to assume that it wasn't the same people that built a structure in the same right. style as one you're used to seeing. Yeah. Right? So... You have to assume that it was Vikings that cut this wood down in 1021. And that is really, really cool. Yeah, that's so neat. What a yeah. neat, different way of dating. But yeah. because you have that point in history, you know for sure this thing happened. And then the fact that you can see it in the wood is really cool. And that it can give you such a precise date to mm-hmm. know that like 1021 is when this wood was cut down. Yeah. Like, where's my time machine? I want to like know, right? go back to that exact date because... <laughs> That would be so cool. Yeah, that was really neat. So the length of the occupation is, of course, unclear. They hypothesize that it may have been a decade or less. I'm not sure how they even know that. Uh, Or where the people went. Mm -hmm. Are there burials? Doesn't sound like there are. Yeah. So where are the bodies? Maybe they haven't found it yet. You know, maybe they moved on and... I mean, this uh, site's been been known about for a long time. I have to assume somebody's done ground penetrating radar or mm -hmm. other things in that area. And, And it's possible that... Maybe the bodies were cremated and evidence is missing or gone. Yep. You know? There's that. And also, like, they could have just fully decomposed, too, and there's nothing left to find, you know? Yeah, yeah so, that's possible. Yeah. So, but they would have buried their dead. If they did bury their dead, they would have buried them with, with grave goods. Oh, that's assume. true. Yeah. So that's there'd true. be something. But yeah. Anyway, with the date of 1021, exactly a thousand years ago, by the way, which was really cool. Oh, yeah, totally. With the date of 1021 confirming at least one story in the Icelandic sagas, it kind of leads you to think, well, how much of the rest of that is true, you know? Yeah, and it makes you wonder, like, if you can use those as a point of reference to go searching for archaeological sites. Yeah. Now, I don't know how specific they are, if it would give you a an actual place that you could go looking, but mm-hmm. if, if it were, that would be really neat to go hunting for something and then find it where the saga says it should be, so. Yeah. If this is undisputed by the rest of the scientific community, then this would represent the evidence of the earliest transatlantic crossing right so that's also pretty cool and was there any discussion of how accepted it is in the archaeological community not really i mean this is an article from reuters so they were just kind of reporting on the uh on the original uh, scholarly article so yeah but as with anything somebody's gonna be like nah i don't buy it (laughs) so but you know with with all the stuff we've talked about especially with our series we just did if you haven't found that go check it out it's uh you know there's always somebody but one thing that evidence destroys these sort of ideas that something could be false is just more evidence mm-hmm. so this latest dating technique while unfamiliar to some is undisputable mm-hmm. it is what it is and and that's true so as long as the trees definitely date to that time because there have been other solar incidents mm-hmm. you know the other the one point that they could have got wrong was the solar incident was not from 992 but from you know 1562 yeah you know or something oh, like that sure you know yeah. so how do they know i would that guess that, that one i would guess that the carbon dating while imprecise got them close enough to the time period 
and they were able to take this probably big range of carbon date and then, well, how many solar flares do we know happened in that time range mm-hmm. that would have been visible from that point of the Earth or at least hit by that point of the Earth, mm-hmm. you know, facing the sun at this time. Yeah. This has to be it. Yeah. You know, so... Another thought that comes to mind, and I'm not actually skeptical of this, so this seems like pretty legit to me, but if I were being skeptical, I would say maybe there was some kind of like storm, bad windstorm or something that Mm -hmm. that knocked down a bunch of trees in 1021 and they were still down and still usable. Although if even if that happened, like it would have been within a decade or so of the trees falling down that people found them down and used them, right? Yeah, and because they decompose like they do fairly but rapidly. I don't know if these wood is treated though. So even if you cut it up and then go use it in your structure, yeah, it's still going to keep decomposing. So yeah, who knows? It didn't. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, pretty much everything we said in the last two segments was mostly true. We may have gotten some things wrong, but to verify that, let's talk about some misconceptions about Vikings on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. <laughs> You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify. And break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to the final segment of Viking Week. Episode 143. And we, since we just talked about the Vikings for two segments, are going to now talk about misconceptions. We probably should have done this first upon further consideration. That's all right. We're doing it now. Yeah. This is just kind of a fun article from mentalfloss.com. And they actually have a whole YouTube video series and a YouTube video on misconceptions about Vikings. So it's linked right at the top of the article if you want to check that out. And I don't... You know, up front, we didn't cross-reference or double-check any of this stuff. But <laughs> but when, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I definitely knew that. I've come across, like, actual articles about the things that they were, that they're debunking, essentially, in this article. Yeah. So you can go seek out more specific references if you want. But this is a really great compilation of things about Vikings that are... Yeah. Exaggerated. It's not even necessarily not true, but exaggerated. Yeah. And the first one, like most things, was exaggerated because of entertainment. <laughs> I think all of them are exaggerated because of entertainment. <laughs> because people, and and I know that there's pretty much nobody listening to this that hasn't been succumbed to this, but you probably don't realize that you have a deeply held belief about something in the world that actually came from a movie. Right. 
right? <laughs> like, I'm sitting here in this RV park, and I see people out there, and I can read all the license plates of the cars in this parking lot. I know what they are. I know that I can take some of these people in a run. And Are you going for the this born, is a born identity, identity quote, right? <laughs> oh like, I know that I can do this. That's, like, deep right there. That's I know. A, that's, a you, get it. that's a you and me thing, because we watch that movie so that's much. Right. <laughs> but anyway, this first one is just Vikings wore horned helmets. We always were used to seeing the image of the Viking and the in the metal dome with the horns coming out of yep. it. Well, apparently, and I thought this was really cool, this came from an 1876 German musical by Richard Wagner. And first off, this musical drama took 15 hours to play. Shut up. <laughs> Are you serious? That's the Germans, right? They're just sitting there going, longer. It needs to be longer. <laughs> so. I mean, I love a musical, don't get me wrong, but 15 <laughs> hours? Good God. Yeah. Okay, well. This, this play translates to, the name of it translates to the Ring of the Nibelung. It portrayed Norse and German legends all vying for a magical ring that could grant power. Ooh. Makes you kind of wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Tolkien uh, watch 15 hour plays much? Well, he's very, very influenced by different mythologies. Yeah, Lord of the Rings true. is. So he very well could have been yeah. influenced by that. So the costume designer decided to make some of the people in this play uh, just look more formidable, and they did that by giving them horned helmets. Mm -hmm. And Vikings have been wearing horned helmets in popular fiction pretty much ever since because other people liked it as well. Yeah. Or they just didn't do their research, and they were like, well, they wore them over here. I'm sure these guys knew what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. So. It just sort of spread like naturally the way an urban legend does, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, the historical record does not line up with this thinking, and Viking helmets were typically made of iron or leather. Now, they may have had some things on them, mm -hmm. but it was more ceremonial or decorative than functional, yeah. right? The horns in, in a lot of things you see are more, they could be functional. Like, you could actually, like, hurt somebody with those if you wanted to. But what yeah. are you going to do, bend your head over like and, like... but somebody? Yeah. That's not... I mean, maybe the horn could deflect a sword that was coming at your head or something, but... Maybe, but... It, don't... Yeah, that doesn't seem like it's yeah. a real good defensive mechanism. Right, right. It was more, like I said, ceremonial, and there was more... Um, I guess like like religious people that would wear them and they would often have like wings on them or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there definitely were decorations on helmets, but just not horns in the way that we can imagine. Like everyone right now listening to this can imagine them yeah. what I'm talking about. So, all right, the second one. All Vikings had scary nicknames. I'm sure they did, actually. <laughs> okay, so there were not a lot of surnames in this time period, right? There's a lot of Olafs and Ragnars and those kind of <laughs> names, but they didn't I always have... I want my name to be Ragnar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they didn't have surnames to go along with those names, so they, they gave nicknames to distinguish between these different people. That makes sense, right? And some of those nicknames were pretty awful sounding, like Asgir the Terror... Oh, Asgir, the terror of the Norwegians. <laughs> yeah, and, be specific. And, <laughs> right. And Hif, the castrator of horses. <laughs> like, that sounds scary for horses, but not exactly people. But okay, sure. <laughs> I, I think because there weren't any surnames, they just liked specific names. Yeah. So yeah. you know who you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Rachel Knitter of Things? I am the Knitter of Things. <laughs> Chris, the podcaster. <laughs> That's right. The editor of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot of names that were not terrible, like, God, man, these names. Kilver, the friend of children. 
Oliver, the friend of children? How would you say that? Olver? It's an Olver? O with a little line under it. Oh, I'm not okay. how you, sure how you pronounce Let's that. Let's go with Olver. Olver, the friend of children, because he wouldn't kill children. Yeah, so like he'd kill the adults, no problem, but yeah. kids... Draws the line. Draws the line. Yeah. And then there's Halfton, the generous, and the stingy with food. Because yes. he paid well, but he didn't feed them. <laughs> This, can you imagine having a conversation? They're like, oh, Halfton was the one that did this. Wait, Halfton, the, the what now? Which Halfton? Like, oh, Halfton, the generous and the stingy with food. <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah, I know oh, him. Oh, that one. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. I love the next one. This one is Ragnar Harry Breaches. <laughs> and it's because he was said to have donned furry pants when he fought a dragon. None of that's true. There's so much wrong with that, but yeah. sure. I love the name. You know, the first pirate was probably a Viking. Sure. And his name was probably Ragnar because he was like, "What? Who are you, Ragnar?" Oh my god, that's so bad. <laughs> so just a couple more examples here: <laughs> Ulf the Squint-eyed, Eric Ale Lover, Eisen Falfart, yep. Skaggy the Ruler of Shit, and Colbine Butter Penis. Butter Penis. Butter Penis. That's, that's right. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say about that. Those are some pretty incredible nicknames, and I'm kind of sad that we don't do this today, honestly. I'm pretty sad I don't have a good nickname like that, (laughs) although I don't want to know what it would be. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I would want the nickname. Yeah, because I don't get. I don't think you get to choose them. I get the. I get the impression that most of these people did not choose their nicknames. I, I mean, except for maybe who would choose that? Eric the Ale Lover may have chosen his. He might have. Yeah. So. Although I'm guessing it's Ale Lover in a bad way, but you right. Know. And Ulf the Squint Eyed. I mean, he just needed glasses and didn't know it. In the you know 1100s, I'm sure that was happening. Right. Like <laughs> poor guy. You know how many people were squint eyed because they just needed glasses. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so misconception number three: Vikings had Viking funerals. And by Viking funerals, they mean the kind where a dude is laid to rest in a boat and then they light the boat on fire and push it out to sea, right? That's what they mean by that. Come on. I want that to be true. <laughs> I know. Well, no, but I want the arrow to shoot out over it and then land perfectly Oh, on. yeah. Just like, wasn't yeah. that in Lord of the Rings too? This is in every movie that <laughs> takes place in medieval times. Yeah, yeah. Or pseudo medieval times. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't even work anyway to to do a burial like that because it just would eventually come right back to shore, right? <laughs> and then you've got like the smoldering body of your beloved relative when they wash back up or the fully burnt to ash body. Like either way, like it's coming back to shore and you're going to have to deal with it. So it's just not practi- practical for them to have done that. Yeah. So there's just no way that that happened. I imagine living in the places they did that the sea was never really all that calm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you're pushing them out. And it just comes right back in. Right back at you. <laughs> and like everybody's walking away and sad and crying a little bit. Then you hear this da-dunk, da-dunk. <laughs> Of just like bad. of like Ragnar, just like on flames and just like bumping like against the land. The shore. Oh my god! <laughs> Get out, Ragnar! The, the floats too much. Yeah, no way. It's <laughs> just not practical. Yeah. But what is true is that they did sometimes bury kings and rulers, in particular, and in, in super rich guys, in a ship on land in a burial mound. There's no evidence of that. It's a place called Sutton Who. You might have heard of it. <laughs> Go visit the episode we're going to link to in the show notes where we talked about it last year because there's a whole movie about it too. Wait, isn't Sutton Who a Dr. Seuss novel? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sutton Who is a burial ship that was discovered in Britain hmm. and excavated there. So anyway, and they also did funeral pyres sometimes where they would, you know, have the pyre and then light the, the person on fire in the funeral pyre. I don't know what mm-hmm. you do with it after it burns out. You just have a 
pile of ashes, I guess. But either way, the idea is that in modern pop culture and modern entertainment, movies, plays, whatever, they sort of combined those two ideas and created the myth of the boat funeral pyre. So thank you, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, indeed. And every other movie that did that. I would imagine, though, that obviously burning bodies would have been pretty common out in that area yeah. because there's a lot of not that there isn't any soil they obviously you know did stuff and and could dig into the ground but there's also a lot of bedrock in that area mm. you know it might have just been difficult uh, a lot of yeah. rocky areas that's very glacial up there yeah a lot of glacial tills a lot of rocks just like up in like new england in the united states and you know maybe digging was just hard and stupid well you know and from what i understand of of early Iron Age types of people, Iron Age, Stone Age, all of that, is that cremation was actually a more common type of burial. Mm -hmm. Inhumation came along with Christianity, and that would have been much later and likely not really something that that Vikings would have done, with the exception of the the boat burials and stuff like that. Right. All right, number four. Vikings were experienced and trained combat soldiers. <laughs> Come on. I mean, every movie you've ever seen, they are wielding yeah. swords and hunting people and villages down. So that's that's what you're led to think by modern mm-hmm. movies and entertainment. Yeah. I mean, some Vikings did fight and were more aggressive, probably, and they had to defend themselves. Raiding in small and protected villages was easy, uh, but it was more of an occasional side hustle than like a career choice, right. you know, or right. something like that. But that totally makes sense for the time period, you know, taking over adjacent or mm-hmm. going across the land and and doing that just... It's all about resources, right? And it was easier to take them from a nearby settlement than find them yourself sometimes. So I'm sure it did happen. Mm -hmm. But historians really believe that Vikings were made up of mostly farmers, fishermen, and even peasants, rather than, as this article says, the burly Conan the Barbarian types. Nice. (laughs) And also, when they did the attacking and the raiding, that did occasionally happen. They wouldn't have had more than, like, spears, axes, and maybe long knives and a bow and arrow. None of this, like heavy long sword you know crazy sharp and yeah spiked objects that you see vikings carrying in in Mm -hmm. movies and tv so i imagine if they were mostly farmers and such they would have had they had iron for sure yeah so they would have had more expedient iron tools probably like garden tool type things like yeah having a scythe or something like that wouldn't you know use what you got yeah you use what you got right yeah so yeah, I mean there was some of the the movie style swords and stuff, but it mm-hmm. was it was for the richest people who had the money to have that stuff made and then also the most successful fighting groups, which you have heard of this group I'm sure and this is probably where the myth comes from. It's the berserkers. Yep. They were a real group of people, a subgroup of the Vikings. They really did fight, raid, plunder, kill all of that and that was how they they you know, lived. It's how they found food and resources and everything they needed. And they worshiped the God Odin, who is the God of war and death. And they took his interest to heart. And Mm -hmm. so it was kind of almost like a religious calling for the guys that were part of the berserker groups. So there you go. That's probably where the violent myth of Vikings comes from. I mean, like everything we like the Outliers because they're more fun. Yeah. And, you know, given enough representation in media, they become the only thing. Yeah. So, 
All right. So this next one, number five, Vikings were dirty, smelly, and gross. I mean, you're not going to convince me that this wasn't true. It was, you know, <laughs> the Middle Ages. They Everybody was dirty, smelly, and gross. I know. Well, I think the whole idea that people in that time period were dirty, smelly, and gross is a bit of a misconception. No, nope, it's true. No, it's not. So, so for the Vikings specifically... They have found archaeological evidence of grooming tools that show that they probably did care quite a lot about their personal appearance. There were tweezers, combs, toothpicks, ear cleaners, all kinds of things that have been found in actual archaeological context. Doesn't mean they weren't smelly. It doesn't mean they weren't smelly. You're right. I mean, body odor was probably a thing. You can't, if you don't have deodorant, then body odor Mm -hmm. is what it is. But these guys, there's evidence that they bathed once a week. Saturday was known as Largar, Largar Dogger or bathing day. And that was once a week. And then we also know that they had soap made from animal fat. So so Fight Club. (laughs) (laughs) random reference moving on (laughs) so that once a week bathing once a week is a lot more bathing than other medieval europeans were doing and i'll touch on that just really quickly because everybody thinks that medieval europeans were so gross and disgusting but here's the thing is they they did wear they didn't have a lot of clothing right because clothing was expensive sure but they had a lot of undergarments and those undergarments would be changed daily and what that meant is that all the body odor and sweat and nastiness of the previous day that was between their body and the clothing that they were wearing was removed and a fresh layer was put on the next day so it in a way it like allows them to be cleaner than you would imagine them to be they weren't just like wallowing in their own filth day after day after day and not bathing wait you're supposed to change undergarments once a day (laughs) (laughs) hashtag rv life oh my god (laughs) no sir you you are a modern man you will be changing your garments maybe twice a day i'm not sure yet wow (laughs) trace still out but but yeah anyway so it the we need to give people more credit. They were cleaner than than the movies would make you think. And also with the Vikings, they, they put a lot of effort into their grooming, too. They styled their hair. They neatly trimmed their beards. Some even wore eyeliner. I'm like, come on, let's bring back the Viking eyeliner style. No, I'm sir. into it. Not going to do it. All right. Well. All right. So the final misconception seems pretty foolish. There were no Viking women. I presume <laughs> that this is referring to the fact that there were no women that, like, raided and did the yeah. other stuff because Viking doesn't just refer to like warlike Norse people. It refers to like all Norse people. I think that's the misconception here is that people who don't know a lot about it think that Vikings just refer to the men who were going out and 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 fighting and raiding. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot of women actually because they were a people. So that was probably 50 50, I would guess. (laughs) And Vikings were pretty progressive as far as gender, gender roles go too, because women could own property they could challenge any kind of marriage arrangement and they could even request a divorce. Now, whether or not that request would be granted <laughs> was still up to the men, but they could yeah. at least initiate the process. And there's historical evidence they took part in battles too, right? Yeah, the historical record of a battle in 971 CE says that women had fought and died alongside the men. Hmm. The, the women that fought were called shield maidens. And now this is just legend here, but... According to legend, over 300 shield maidens fought in the Battle of Braviller in the 8th century to and helped successfully keep the enemy at bay. So nice. that's that's just a legend. And then the other like main legend about Viking women is that there was a 
shield maiden named Lagertha. Lathgertha. Lathgertha. That's your new nickname. (laughs) Lathgertha. I like it. And she's so impressed the famous Viking Ragnar Lothbrok. Ragnar. And he was the one with hairy breeches, by the way. (laughs) That he became smitten and asked for her hand in marriage. So So he put on his fancy hairy breeches. (laughs) Yes, to ask for her hand in marriage. (laughs) I mean, how could you turn that guy down? Seriously. She's so, like, wait, are you Ragnar of the Hairy Breaches? <laughs> yes. What? Anything. Anything <laughs> that's mine times, is yes. yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the main takeaway here is that there were plenty of Viking women. They didn't always fight, and there were some that did fight. So, right. There you go. Okay. Well, did you enjoy Viking Week? Do you want us to talk about some other themed thing that's happening. I would prefer to talk about stuff in the news, to be honest, but honestly, it's really fun to just research a sole topic and and cover it like we've done really the last three weeks now that we have this week down. Yep. So that was really neat. All right. Well, that is it for this week. Like I said, we are leaving Austin for the next recording. Uh, I don't know where we'll be. Somewhere down the Florida Panhandle, I think. I think so, And we will let you guys know and be back next week with some more news stories. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.